0: I have a message, but it's the code for a special mission.
1: What?
2: The Gondwana is leading the Lunar Orbital Fleet in an assault on the cannon's first relay point. Minerva is to change course, proceed to the enemy cannon itself, and destroy it? What? Destroy the cannons
1: all by ourselves?
0: welcome to It's a Gundam, the internet's
2: best episode-by-episode Gundam-C
0: podcast that now has to watch Destiny. My name is Jeremy.
2: I, too, have increasingly larger attache cases full of guns. I'm Tyler.
1: Uh, Tyler, you have no idea why that's funny, but I'm not going to explain
2: right now. My name is Zach. That's fair. I'm just making fun of Jibril's plans, which are get bigger gun. Get bigger, bigger gun.
1: Produce bigger guns. Yep. To protect the bigger, bigger gun.
2: Until eventually, the gun is a moon
1: until eventually he turns the whole sphere into a gun. Isn't that also like the Imperium's, not Imperium, the Empire's plan?
0: Yeah, it seems to be. Wasn't the galaxy gun a smaller gun, or am I thinking of a different dumb super uh, weapon from the <laughs>
1: Star Wars extended universe? The galaxy gun was a different it's, thing. It wasn't actually
2: an Empire-built thing. It's Vegeta's special attack.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's that too, but the galaxy gun he's thinking of is something else. Isn't it also small... destroyed star <laughs> stars, but... Isn't there a small one that flies into stars? Well, there's the Sun Crusher, but I don't think that's what you're thinking of.
0: Yeah, I thought there was like a, a fighter-sized shi- ship that would fly into suns to make
1: them go supernova. That is the Sun Crusher, and it fires missiles that causes suns to go supernova.
2: I was actually just going to complain of how all these things are like star destroyers and sun crushers, and they never once crush a damn sun, but I stand corrected. We are watching Phase 44 this week, Prelude to Revolution. Who is revolting, and why? No, th- it's not clear. This is the prelude. It hasn't oh. happened yet. Well, Jabril's pretty revolting. He's not, like, starting a revolution. Maybe he is? I don't know. He's more trying to go back to the old ways.
0: He's trying to unrevolve. I mean, he's still revolting. He's the revolving door of Azrael. You kill an Azrael, you get a Jabril. You should have just kept the Azrael. So if you kill Jabril, does that mean you get an Azrael? Or you get an even worse Jabril? We have to wait
2: until the movie comes out to learn.
0: And that's never going to happen, so...
2: Even though it's been announced, kind of,
0: it's been announced like five times, Tyler.
1: You know, it would be really funny is if the Gundam Seed Destiny movie that they have said is coming out ends up being in the Super Robot Wars 30th Anniversary game. <laughs> I mean, that's because that's too <laughs> much planning ahead for well, everyone before uh, Invisible Victory came out. That was the Full Metal Panic series that was in V.
0: Yeah, but it, I think light novels or photo novels or something had already been written. I think that that's the case too. But. That they were adapting and then they later adapted it to anime. Uh, what did you think of this episode, Tyler?
2: Um, eh. I feel like a surprising amount of nothing happened, even though, spoilers, Jabril dies.
0: That's exactly my feelings on it. It feels like nothing happens, but you know, well, this and this happened. This is where I was, when I was originally watching, like, oh no, destiny isn't going to end good. It's going to be bad. They've got too many balls in the air and they're not going to shoot him down. After that, conversation last week on the Bridge of the Archangel, and then this is just like, action times! I guess it's action that needed to happen, because there was action last week with a giant planet-destroying laser, but... I personally
1: loved that they gave Luna Lunamaria something to do in this episode. It's true. Yep. She got
0: to murder some people. Good job, Luna Mario. And then,
1: like, de her <laughs> midway through it.
0: Yes and no. I think that's kind of complicated. We'll definitely talk about it, though I definitely think you're more right than you are wrong when you say that. Yeah. I don't know that I have any other things to talk about. We could do a eulogy for Jabril. Good riddance. Who's taking care of his cat?
1: I want to know. I have a theory. Did you not not see his cat? I'm not sure that's his cat, but I think it is his cat. I'm pretty sure it's his cat because it's the only cat we've seen in the
0: series. The problem is it looks like it's looking over the Minerva when it should be looking over the Archangel, which might be me
1: seeing it wrong or... An no, animation we saw, mistake. We saw it take its cat, his cat back, though. We saw it with the soldiers, so presumably it's with him on the moon. No We're pets on the, on the moon. moon. Hmm. Also,
0: Mir is on the moon, and I can't figure out how that works. Mir isn't on the moon right now. Mir is on the moon right now, Zach. Mir's pool is on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> what? How? Why? That doesn't
2: make any sense. Wait, cause... why is Mir on the moon and not with Well, because anywhere... that's where Dorendle
0: sent her to lay low.
2: I thought he sent her to lay low on one of the plants. That would make sense, wouldn't it? It would, yeah. Why would he send her to the moon? A known and not Zaft thing. Yeah, isn't the moon still technically an Alliance base? I assume that
1: they both have bits of it. I don't know. Well, it did call or it ma- the Lunar Fleet. Maybe in this universe that we never bothered to mention Earth has two moons. She's on the other one that they never bothered to talk about. Well, yeah,
2: you've got Luna and Maria.
1: No, they're named Luna Maria and Mayrin. Oh, Tyler.
2: yeah, sorry. <laughs>
0: So again, we are watching Phase 44, Prelude to Revolution, or Phase 44, Lackus Times 2 if you're on Crunchyroll because they can't get their data right and it's very frustrating.
1: (laughs) Oh, you know, I should really check the Funimation stream because I think it's on there just to see if they have the same messed up data. YouTube has it. It's correct on YouTube, I think.
2: Although that's published directly by Gundam Info. Yep. I would be willing to bet... That Funimation uses a third-party data provider similar to Crunchyroll. Having worked for the cable industry like someone from the days of yore, I would expect that they probably come from the same source. Although they might have fixed their problem. You can watch it wrong if you want. And this episode
0: has explosions, so if you like that, it's cool. We start out very frantically and action-packed as Durundle is talking to his various people about the terrible situation his country is in after part of it got blown up.
1: The shot of one of those people, like, I don't know what they're supposed to look like, but one guy really looks like, you know, I've got some really bad heartburn. Well,
0: yeah, he's heartburn and he has to evacuate. It's a tough time, Zach. He should have got that coordinator gene that makes it so you don't have heartburn, but his parents didn't give it to him.
2: Maybe he's just like exceptionally anxious about the evacuation. You
0: see, Zaph is sending its entire fleet
2: to the moon and
0: Requiem needs to recharge. I do love how they call their second shot their second movement, because they are committed to the theme.
1: Well, I mean, this whole series has been committed to that theme since all the Minerva's guns are also named after operas of various types. I mean, but
0: Requiem is a part of a song, so I don't know. It's not a part of a song, it is a type of a song. Okay, yeah, you're right.
2: It is, however, an excellent move. Also, yeah, Funimation's messed up in the exact same way Crunchyroll is. So, now we know.
0: So Durandal is talking to various people who want him to evacuate, and he's like, yeah, but what if they fire a second shot while we're doing that? And they're like, can't we come to some sort of peace agreement or
2: ceasefire? He's a crazy warmonger. What do you want me to do about this? Yeah,
1: he says it's not a nation we're going to war with. You can't negotiate with terrorists, and not wanting to negotiate with terrorists is not the same thing with not being able to. You can totally negotiate with them. They may not do it in good faith, but you can.
0: On the other hand, Jabril's negotiation would be, let me shoot you with my giant space laser and we
1: will have peace. Yeah, so let's rephrase
2: that as, I can't negotiate with Jabril. Yeah, Uh, you
1: can't negotiate
2: with this terrorist. Seems like a job for Big O.
0: (laughs) I think the you can't negotiate with terrorist lines is super intentional to draw parallels to the various wars on terror America found themselves in around the time that this show was
1: coming out. No, it makes perfect sense. It's just one of those things that I like to point out. And, of course, he does have also the line of, uh... Are you suggesting that we just surrender to their use of force? And I'm like, no. Well, so that person probably was. Well, I agree with derundle in that case. No, you don't just surrender to force like this. Because he's going to do it again.
0: Yes. So, the I guess the Jabril forces, because there's not even the alliance, sends their moon army to... Where did
1: he get the fleet this size? Holy
0: shit! Presumably it's on the moon. It kind of makes sense to have the moon be your a large fleet base when it's one of your only territories in space and your main
1: enemy are space-based? <laughs> well, yes. I mean, it makes sense to have that as a staging area, but you don't have all of your fleet in dock at the same time.
2: Well, no Injabril. He probably just ordered it knowing nothing to military tactics.
1: I kind of also wonder if maybe you do in space combat,
0: because they can come from so many angles. It's so hard to make a defensive line in space.
1: Yeah, but launching your ships is going to put them at you know you're going to be insanely vulnerable against any kind of attack if they're not out and able to defend themselves when people show up. I don't think they're out yet, though. I think they are launching
0: because they're at that point where, like, okay, they're over there. We can go launch safely now. I do not think ZAFT is in position to shoot at them when they are launching. Speaking of ZAFT, it's Izak and Diarca who is like, "There's no way we'll let them shoot that again." When did they dock? I assume they're on their ship.
2: I just why I don't know what. No, well, I know
1: what he's. I know what he means. I had the same thought. Because they were, at the last episode, ended, they were flying around. Yeah. Like, they were outside of the ship. So, presumably sometime between then and now, which I don't think there was that much time in between the episodes, because we're pretty much right where we left off, they went back and redocked on their ship. Yep. I think it has been a matter of hours, though.
2: That is fair. And Mm -hmm. mobile suits don't have great battery life.
1: That is possible. I
0: also think that where they were fighting is no longer where the main battle line is. Because well, they is... pretty much destroyed it.
1: I think they have got back on the ship to
0: go to where the they're going to meet the...
1: Moon the far flight. the fiery whatever the hell it is, because yeah. they're attacking that one. But yeah, that makes
2: sense. I was just going to say, I think that shot of Izak and Diarca might be a reuse shot. And I just want to like dub over Izak. Like every time he has a line of dialogue in the show, just on that shot.
0: So you get the opening sequence. It is still the opening sequence.
2: <laughs> it is still unintentionally hilarious.
0: Gotta keep those 14-year-olds watching, Tyler.
2: There's explosions this episode. I don't know what
0: more they'd want. Boobs. Okay, fair. I guess there are also kind of those this episode. So we cut to the Archangel, which is loading supplies. Atherin is typing next to Mayrin, and Kira's like, Atherin, let me do that. You know my hacking skill is way higher than yours.
1: On the one hand, yes. On the other hand, Atherin is still wounded, so he should not be here. I do like how Kira's like, you shouldn't push yourself too hard, and Atherin just has this weird half grin like yeah I mean I thought I was over the hole trying to kill myself. So Kira starts doing his
2: space wizardry hacking and
0: Mayrin <laughs> is just watching in awe. It's like oh man with fingers like that no wonder Lachis is not
2: <laughs> She vocalizes something I think she just says like wow or something like that.
0: They are loading the Akatsuki onto the Archangel next to the new freedom and justice.
1: That thing is so garishly out of place because it's this shining gold mobile suit next to the other two. So Kira
0: is like, according to my girlfriend, the script says we can't go stop them. So I hope that Zaf stops them. I'm sure they'll
1: be able to. Lachis read the script. So she knows that they don't have to worry about Jabril because Zaph is going to take care of it. That's why they can focus on Dorundel.
0: Yeah. Like we said last week, it just doesn't make any sense that these people who are just going off to any battle that happened ever is like, oh, a
1: giant genocide happened. That's cool. We should put boxes on the Archangel. It actually makes sense that they have to provision the Archangel. Because presumably they didn't have the supplies to go into space because they were running around on Earth. I wonder if they were just fishing for food the entire time they were (laughs) underwater. I'm assuming the kingdom of Scandinavia was actually supplying them with supplies. Yeah, probably. That
2: makes more sense, but I do like the idea of the archangel just trawling. But especially (laughs)
1: after the the last episode when they did their repairs, my guess is most of those crates probably contain... Spare ammunition. We don't know how many spares they have on board or how many additional missiles they have on board, and they don't know how long this is going to last. And it's not like they have a factory in space that they could presumably resupply from. It's not like they have the factory.
2: Is the factory in space, though?
1: (laughs) Who
0: knows? (laughs) It sounds like space, doesn't it? They don't have Heliopolis anymore, though, to go resupply at.
1: Or the, uh, what's it called? The one that they used in the other series, the, like, abandoned colony that they hid out in,
0: in Seed. So the Minerva is in space, and Gladys asks Abby if she's reached headquarters, and she's like, yes, but I have a secret message. It's the special code for a secret mission. It just is two zeros and a seven,
1: blinking. <laughs> <after>. <laughs> and Drundel has apparently taken over the Death Star here with well, all of his screens. We saw it last week, but yes, we made the joke.
0: There's no way not to just say, oh, this is the Death Star 2's throne room. That's absolutely what they've drawn here.
1: The only difference between this and the Death Star 2's throne room is there are people working here.
0: Yes. This room actually has a function instead of just being a weird place for the Emperor to
1: laugh at Luke Skywalker.
0: Also, they have covered up that weird energy shaft so Darth Vader can't throw Durandal into it.
2: Uh, uh, actually, I think that's off the edge over there in the back. That's true. You can't see the bottom of that. I was also going to say that they have like some potted plants in here and it really helps the ambiance.
0: So the Minerva is told over this that the Lunar Fleet is engaged with the main enemy and there to go around to where the actual cannon is and destroy it.
2: Don't forget about the super subtle shot of a chess set imposed in front of Durundal while this is being explained.
1: I mean, in this case, it actually makes sense since the Minerva has done this kind of a thing before and they're equipped with your most advanced pieces of hardware. And as they point out, they're the closest people there. How
2: are they the closest? Presumably
1: because they came from Earth? And their vast majority (laughs) of uh, Zaft's fleet is being intercepted by the lunar fleet of the Alliance, or Jabril's faction. So close is probably a little on the maybe not side, but they are certainly not currently engaged in doing anything else, and have the potential to get in behind the
2: fleet. I just feel like you'd want more than one ship on this.
1: But the question is, Do you have more than one ship currently available before it fires again? That's in position, and I don't think the answer is yes.
2: No, and that's fair. I also find it baffling that the Minerva got here before any other ship somehow. Everything else started in space.
0: I'm pretty sure that Earth is closer to the moon than
2: the plants are. I would believe that. I honestly have no idea where the plants are. One of the Lagrange points.
1: It also depends on when or where exactly the Minerva left the atmosphere. So if it left the atmosphere closer to the moon than it did the plants, because it seems from at least the last episode that the plants and the moon are on opposite sides of the planet. Yeah. Okay.
0: So when they say the far side of the moon, they mean what we would call the close side of the moon. So cut to Shin, Ray, and Luna being told by Gladys and Arthur what the mission is. And they're like, we don't know if we'll be alone, but regardless, we have to do it. That's our orders. And Ray's like, yeah, we're close. That's probably why they chose us. And not because we're main characters that the Rundle likes to give every mission to.
1: And Gladys does mention that they don't know the charge cycle on the cannon. So they're on a time limit.
0: But they don't know what the time limit is. And since the majority of their forces are engaged with
1: the enemy fleet,
0: they have to take action quickly.
1: Exactly what I said. Yeah.
0: And Talia's like, this is going to be a five-star mission, maybe a six-star mission. But you're all (laughs) high-level now. You've all got that epic gear. Also, I have a son. Let's show a photograph of him still, please, for a moment. So we have to succeed before they blow him up.
1: I think that's the first time we've seen
0: her son, though. I believe you are I correct. I
2: think so, yes. For all we know, that's actually her estranged nephew.
0: <laughs> so she cut is- to the lunar city of Copernicus, where even sexier Lacus Klein has put it on a very revealing bikini for us while she looks longingly at a photo of her old self. And Cyclops' lady watches on with an expression we cannot see because she's turned away with, for us. Literally, the only point of that shot is to tell you Mira's on the moon. I mean, also that she's considering her old self. That's kind of
1: important, but that's not important to this episode in any way. It is important to note that she is contemplating her old self and presumably thinking about what Atherin mentioned and how Derundel's attitude was when she sent her away to here. But it's kind of superfluous for the rest of this episode. So the Requiem is 48% charged. And they have their satellites in position. They're positioning for it. It's not in position just yet.
2: So we saw one of the giant space mirrors had that, like, anti-laser shielding that the Rad Crab robots, whose name I can't remember, have. The Zamzaza one just popped up on the screen. Yep, that thing. The other giant space mirror did not have that.
0: Well, that was a stealth attack. I don't actually think the colony has it. I think they have units in position.
2: Yeah, that was my thought, too, is that they had...
1: Mobile suits with that particular shield in position to protect it.
2: Okay, I'll buy that.
0: So Izak's like, what, well, we still can't get to it? Come on, DRK, we have to Dynasty Warriors this.
1: So they decide to fly the Minerva at NOE. Like, <laughs> holy crap, that is low. Look, you gotta avoid that radar. That space radar. Space star? Ray is briefing Luna and Shin on their plan. This is a weird shot to me. Because they're standing perfectly fine on the deck. Well, their helmets are all floating around them. I feel like they'd be floating around without anything to hang on to.
0: Yeah, and Luna and Shin are about to have a very space hug.
1: Maybe they have magnet boots. I was actually going to suggest that would magnet make boots. sense,
2: but we've seen them floating around before. They just and, tap their heels together and they turn on and, and off.
1: Shin and Luna will have their very space hug. They're not very strong
0: magnets. You got to be able to walk with them, right? So you've got to be able to have enough power.
2: Except they if... show them
1: like just floating through the air for most of the time. Not in this. Not in Minerva for some reason, but
0: yeah. Look. We talked about this on Gundam C2. Gundam cannot decide how anti-gravity in space works. It works, however, it's coolest to draw this right now. I feel it would be f- more entertaining to have, like, Shin upside down through this briefing. <laughs> That's a Dimensional Fortress Macross joke. <laughs> so Ray's like, if they can destroy that, then the plants will be safe. But if the cannon recharges before they can and they fire, we'll lose the fleet in addition to the plants. And you know that madman's going to do it. Which, to be fair, Ray is right.
1: I mean, I hate to... uh agree with Ray on anything, but yeah, he's right. We know he's going to pull the trigger, and with their fleet in position, they won't even be able to retaliate if they lose the fleet and all the plants. And Shin's like, yeah, he's the
0: devil. Let me flash back to all those awful things he did, and by he, I mean Stella.
1: That was the thought I had, too, is that it's all his fault. It's definitely not Stella's for burning Germany to the ground. Although, to be fair, to be that fair, was under
0: his orders. And Stella did not build a destroy Gundam.
1: And Stella was not really in the right mind to be making decisions for herself anyway. It was kind
2: of the whole point. Especially not whether I should raise an entire country.
1: Yeah.
0: I was so busy asking, can I, that I never asked, should I? <laughs> Luna is also down on herself for not shooting Jabril that one time. To be fair, I don't know how she didn't either. But Shin is quick to reassure, hey, it's not your fault. It's orbs or zero RBs if you're watching this subtitle.
1: <laughs> okay, I, that wasn't just me then. All right, I, I don't know why they did that. I mean, it's perfectly intelligible, but I don't know why they decided to delete this one. They make so many mistakes like that. Gala 73 instead of gotcha <laughs> might be
0: my favorite one. <laughs> so Shin's like, don't blame yourself. It's orbs' fault for giving him refuge. And Ray's like, well, regardless, we can't fix it now. If you're upset about it, use that
1: to fix your mistake. And Shin is like, don't be a dick, Ray. Don't be a dick to my prospective girlfriend. I mean, I actually agree with Ray in this case. He can't change the past and may put your effort not to reliving it, but to, uh, not making the same mistake twice. I
0: also agree with him, but I don't think it's the best thing to say for morale right before you go out. Well, I feel like if they're in the ready room right after having this conversation, that's the right thing to say. I feel like we're about to launch. You got my back, right, Luna? Also, don't fuck it up. It's just not. <laughs> I mean,
1: it also depends on who you're talking to. It is definitely not the right thing to say to this well, pair you see of that. pilots.
2: Luna's response is like, yeah, I'll do better, even though Shin stands up for her. And I feel like Ray just has like achieved enlightenment and knows how to manipulate all teenagers perfectly now. So I think it's mostly just a matter of he knows
1: Luna and Shin cause he's been with them for so long. He knows basically needling Luna with failure will get her to stick up more, but that would make Shin punch you.
0: And so Shin is like, you don't say that to my girlfriend. I have to punch you. But Shin's like, yeah, we won't let them fire it again. Pouting Ray and Ray's like, yes, now let's look at the monitor to discuss strategy. Uh, we won't discuss it on screen, though, to make sure the plan works. Cut to the Zomzazaz being destroyed by Izak
1: and Diarka. They, they're working as a team. Like Diarka presumably is keeping its attention with his gun while Izak attacked it with the heat whip, which got it, through his shield this, generator. This does offer us more or less confirmation that those shields don't work at close range or against close uh, combat weapons, because we see it multiple times here. Yep,
2: I think it's also the same shield that Destroy has, right? And yeah, we, we know yeah, for a fact so. that physical things just go right through it. Jabril
0: seems satisfied with the progress they're making with the batter with the battle, and he's like, "Soon we will kill all the coordinators." <laughs> no, I like It's a piece batter. of cake to break a pretty cake <laughs>
1: where we kill all the coordinators, and then we get a rundown of the same shot we had in the first Gundam Seed series of all the coordinators being attacked and killed. Yeah, it's a
0: real brief shot, and I don't really know why it's here. It kind of reminds me of when we get Asriel's little background in just images. But this isn't, oh, this is why I hate coordinators. This is a bunch of coordinators dying, which is why we have to kill them.
2: (laughs) You're mentioning uh, the coordinator death cake made me think of uh, Jabril writing a peach-style letter to Durandal. Dear Durandal, I baked you a cake. Please die. (laughs) And the cake is just a
1: bomb that's been frosted. Yours, (laughs) Princess
2: Jabril. Lord. Toadstool.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Jabril is really excited to, uh, uh, about to be the guy who kills all the coordinators. And history will finally be corrected. So I guess that thing we talked about about him maybe not being a racist is entirely wrong.
2: They kind of threw that out like the second time we ever saw him, honestly.
0: So, Gladys orders them to lower the bridge because they're nearby. I'm pretty sure this is a stock... Footage shot, but maybe not because Mayron would have been in it, and Arthur just looks so dopey to me. In I think this
1: shot. I think it's a stock footage shot, but they replaced Mayron with Abby. Abby instead. I do feel though, if you're in this situation going on the special mission, you should be at condition red to begin with. Maybe not having all the pilots in their machines, but you should really be at the uh, battle stations already. So we cut to the plan where they're summing up for us. Where Ray's like, "Got
0: it, Luna. Your priming has to be perfect." Don't shoot them too early, or (laughs) don't shoot them too early. And Chin's like, hey, are you sure this is the best plan? And Ray's like, don't worry, Lita, we will back you up, but don't count on this because we might get too busy and you don't want to let your guard down.
1: The idea, I think, is supposed to be she sneaks in, but at the same time, I feel like take all three and smash through the front gate because that's basically what they end up doing anyway. Well, I think the plan is explicitly she is going to enter it and destroy the control room
2: she's gonna get into the momoka pool and then go in through the secret canal
1: (laughs) well i mean that's what they end up doing but they end up escorting her in and so it doesn't really make a lot of sense for her to be separated because it's not like she's distant
0: well luna is like please stop patronizing me i know that my job is important Ray's like all right let's go and luna is like Hey, Shin, can we have a moment? And Ray is like, anything you can discuss in front of Shin, you can discuss in front of me. I, but then Luna just gives him the look. He's like, I'll get on the
1: elevator. <laughs> I, I did like I liked the, the Luna look there of just, hey, I did not want you included in this conversation. Out. I waited for
0: you to leave. Anyway, Shin, hugs are good. Let's have one. Be careful. And then we get Shin saying, no, I can't let you put yourself at risk like that. Which, as Zach said, is kind of de-agencying her a little bit. I don't think that's the intent of the scene, which doesn't mean it's not what it accomplishes. But I think this is very much Shin being like, hey, every specifically woman, but every person in my life I have cared for has died, and I do not want you on that list. To be fair, two of the people he cared about in his life he killed. I wasn't even counting them. And also, they're fine. (laughs)
2: Tadaka's (laughs) dead. Okay,
1: I I don't think he... He doesn't know Tadaka's dead. I mean, he doesn't know that he killed Tadaka. That's (laughs) true. But... No, this isn't actually what I was talking about, but that is definitely a part of it. Like, if you felt this strongly about this, Shin, you probably should have brought it up at the beginning during the planning stage, not now after the plan's already been set. Well,
0: Ray has all those feats that makes it impossible for Shin to get a word in edgewise, so he's only allowed to talk when it's just him and Luna. And Shin's like, me or Rey should do it. And she's like, hey, it's all the same. Going out and being the decoy is at least as dangerous as my job. In fact, if I do my job right, no one sees me. I mean, so it's all the same.
1: Technically,
2: yeah, that's definitely true. And she just has to believe in me. So I wrote down in my notes at this p- specific point, Luna dies. <laughs> uh. <laughs> that would really be de
1: seeing her. And he's like, I Shit, don't know. We need to tie up another female character. Just kill her. That'll be fine.
0: And Shin's like, well, I can't. I'm bad with emotions. So let's have a good space hug. And she's like, space hug is nice.
1: Spinning space hug.
0: And Ray is like, where are those guys? <laughs>
1: We're supposed to be on
2: board our machines. Where are they going? I like the idea that he didn't actually take the elevator down and has just been waiting in there for them. <laughs> <laughs> Except we know he isn't because they take the elevator right here. He's actually just off screen. You just can't see him.
0: <laughs> Which is why they're having this lovey-dovey moment awkwardly in front of him, where Shin's like, hey, I'm going to protect the ship, the plants, and you. I'll protect everything. That's the kind of person I want to be. If Kira goddamn Yamato can do it, I can do it.
1: The problem, Shin, is you don't have all of the protection feats that Kira took in order to safeguard the Archangel from four guys. You have all of the offensive battleship killing feats or yeah. mobile
2: armor killing feats. Shin is clearly a barbarian, whereas Kira, like, dual class is, I guess, artificer and fighter?
1: Well, he's all the classes because
2: he's the ultimate coordinator. Ah, okay. That makes sense.
1: No, I mean, like, Shin has all of his feats are geared towards killing things bigger than he is. He like he has Giant Slayer and all those other ones, so they're gonna pay off for him this episode. No, but see that's because his GM knows that he took all of those feats, so he has <laughs> he to design encounters. So he designed encounters for Shin to, to uh, show off and be a badass in. And... I do wanna before we go on, talk about the bit
0: where Luna's just like kind of staring at Shin, not in awe exactly, but it's a very loving sort of stare. And it's kind of one of the few things I buy about their relationship. I think Luna actually really admires Shin's desire to protect everything, even if Shin is clearly biting off more than he can chew by saying that. And it does seem like they're setting up for Luna's death with it. So Luna takes off. She gets the blast impulse equipment. Apparently, the blast impulse's thrust is strong enough to fly on the moon. That's fine. I'm willing to buy that. (laughs) It's low gravity, so I guess it makes sense. So Bob on the computer is like, sir... There's a blip on the radar. It's the Minerva. And Jabril's like, God damn it. Why is it always the Minerva? Why don't we have a, the Minerva? Oh, wait, wait, it's in the base. We still have the Gertie Lau. Maybe I should get on that.
1: <laughs> and then the commander says, you fool, how did you not notice? It's like, dude, they were flying under our radar. How was I supposed to notice? It doesn't, it's not a perfect system. So they scramble the reserve forces to intercept them and we get the eye catch.
2: Hey folks, thanks for joining us for episode 44. Sorry about the slight delay this week, I was on vacation in Yellowstone and I just got back and boy am I a buffalo. Anyway, no particular news this week other than, hey, obviously, we're getting close to wrapping up Destiny. So, instead, a quick plug for our Patreon. If you hop over to that.com slash lastpodcast, any amount that you're willing to give us is fantastic and we very much appreciate it. And if you donate at the $5 or higher level, you get access to all of our episodes early and some bonus content. We're actually trying to record episodes on all the Evangelion movies before the next one drops this August, so if that's a thing that interests you, then you can listen to us talk about one of the progenitors of making people care about mecha anime in America, I guess. That's all I've got this week, so short and sweet, back to the episode. Bye! Oh yeah,
1: they're there. A couple of yours.
0: They've got a bunch of Wyndhams, some Zamzazas, a Dryder, and a bunch of defense turrets, which makes sense. Answering Zach's question, the Minerva did apparently fix its big cannon,
1: because they will use it here. I do like the shot of all of the guns preparing, because it's always a cool glory shot to me, but... It's all stuff we've seen before, but I never
0: mind seeing it. The only problem with it is the Archangels are cooler. (laughs) That is true. But Minerva, probably the second coolest battleship in Gundam, so...
1: It is my se- my personal second favorite battleship in Gundam, which is why when I was playing that SD Gundam generation thing, I definitely have the Archangel and the Minerva are the two ships I deploy. Because it's SD,
2: are they like chibi versions? The no, ships they're actually not. not. Okay.
0: But all the Gundams are. Okay.
1: All the mobile suits, I suppose. Shin and Rey take off as well. So they, we, we just start getting Rey and Shin just ripping through these defenses. <laughs> I find the like beam
0: sword funnels on the legend kind of dumb but they are absolutely perfect for taking out those anti-beam shields we talked about if you if they can only be penetrated by physical matter which they're inconsistent on beam sabers seem to pierce them all the time but if you could shoot a physical bit in and then turn on the beam no it's that would because be perfect specifically
1: they are proof against ranged weapons not melee weapons it has nothing to do with beam mm-hmm. or solid slug it's is it a melee weapon then it damages it if it doesn't or if it's a ranged weapon then it is blocked cut to
0: Durandal who is told that the Minerva has reached its destination and he's like well we'll have to pray for its success there is a really cool devil shot of the legend I don't really care for the legend but it does get a really cool
1: destroy three
0: Windom's with funnels and then be the devil shot
1: I do like how Shin has somebody coming up next to him and he was like you know what I'm gonna use the big anti ship cannon on this dude he had it out already no he got it out specifically to shoot that dude (laughs) the bonus of this is he has to use all the weapons on the destiny so I think he gets through it. Oh, actually, I'm not sure if he uses his. No, he does. He does it at the start his regular rifle. I don't know if he uses the sword. I, he no, definitely does. He does these against uh, against a couple of destroys, doesn't he?
0: So the Minerva fires its shells over a canyon while they're hugging a rock. And I really love this shot of them drifting while preparing the Tonhauser to fire over which we hear Durandal saying, hey, just tell the citizens everything that's going on. Don't like hide anything. Especially this shot of Mir in a swimsuit with her
1: cleavage showing. (laughs)
2: Specifically show that.
1: Thank you. Well, it shows a lot of people, some of which don't have any access to it. Okay, I think that is Jabril's cat, but it is most certainly not on the moon. No, I think the
0: implication is it escaped an orb last time we saw it. Because it is just on a beam overlooking some docks, looking at the moon. But that looks like... I mean, it's not it can't be the Minerva, it's just a boat in the distance. So I guess that has to be orb. So that's what happened to Brill's cat. It escaped to orb. It betrayed him like everybody else. (laughs) It is now a feral cat. So Durandal's like, people have the right to know what's going on, don't they? It's not like I would ever Photoshop the Freedom Gundam out of something. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of Destroy Gundams, haven't they launched yet? We got some of those on the moon. Because, I mean, why not? Put them (laughs) everywhere.
1: How it many of these you, did he make? At least nine. It makes me wonder
2: how much resources these things take to build. Well, apparently they're made out of cardboard, so <laughs> i imagine not much.
0: Oh, yeah, the first one had armor. All the other ones don't. That's why they're <laughs> so easy to destroy.
1: It's not cardboard, Tyler. It's plastic. So, Shin
0: and Ray versus three Destroy Gundams. They took on five before with Luna, so I think this is pretty Shin and Ray favored even shin is like god those fuckers again haven't they learned
1: yet <laughs> you know what would be really funny is if they had taken a uh, piece out of the russian army at a world war ii's thing and just had the legends buried in this in the uh, moon so all you could see was that top half with all their guns the destroys you mean yeah yeah what did i say legends buried so all you could see is like the top part of the cockpit and all the guns
0: so, the Minerva fires the Tonhauser. It's a very cool shot, but as we said, there are a bunch of Driders and Zomza here, so one blocks it. It is a very
1: cool like, back blast on the Tonhauser, and it just absolutely quakes the uh, control room Jabril's sitting in. So, Shin is like, God
0: damn it, and just shinning fingers, one of the destroys right in the <laughs> cockpit. It's effortless for him at this point. He took all the feats to destroy these things. Well, like I said, he he went down the track of kill things bigger than me. What it is, is the GM is just tired. He, he had this Surrey Gundam. It was supposed to be this big threat, but then the PCs killed it instantly. So he's like, fine, five of them. And that took a while. And he was really exhausted by that fight. So he's like, I'll just try three this time. But they're in space. So Ray can use his sword funnels, his beam saber funnels, distinct from sword funnels. I'm sorry. And it is a pretty cool shot of them going right through the center. But apparently that's where they put all the Explodium. That you need to strike on them
1: because it explodes. So Lunamaria is flying along, like trying to be sneaky, and apparently some random Wyndham spots her on the way in. Makes me wonder what these guys are doing out here.
0: She takes them all out, but Shin gets concerned for her and does use his regular rifle to kill a Wyndham and goes after her.
1: So apparently the Requiem is at 61%, and Jabril's like, all right, we're shooting it now. Yeah, I say it's ready now. <laughs> Look, if we wait for a full power, we will lose, but we can destroy their fleet now. I mean, on the one hand, he's not necessarily wrong. If it's going to take hours for it to charge, you need to fire it now while you still have the chance to. But there's a problem with the last colony because of the battle going on there. And
0: Jabril's like, okay, let's still fire it. We'll still get to there. And that's where their fleet is. But General Guy's like, but that would be the end of our plan. And Jabril's like, just fire it and we'll escape as long as I am alive everything will be great there There will be be... alternatives i have an even bigger laser
1: somewhere else (laughs) on mars i just the face he's he's making (laughs) Jabril is a coward
0: i have a real hot laser in canada that's why you've never
2: heard of it
1: i mean he is it's actually a microwave he's a total coward because he's not willing to stand and fight against anything he hides behind proxies and and stuff like that and as soon as the battle comes to him he runs away which is probably
0: a lot of why Durandal is able to win the PR battle so easily. He has, at multiple occasions, gone to the front lines.
1: Yeah, I, I do feel like, though, it's like, where are you going to go? You can't go anywhere on Earth. Phobos and Deimos are probably your best bet at this point. He says Arzakiel. I have no idea where that is or what changel that is. Arzakiel, I think that's someplace else on the moon, because I think they mentioned it.
0: Maybe. And he's like, come on, we can try again from there. And Jabril is like, please buy this. And the other guy's like, oh, God, I don't buy this. But what am I going to do?
1: Well, I think he's also got that expression of this guy is selling me and my men up the river after everything we've done for him. What have I done?
2: Arzakel, in addition to being an archangel, apparently, is also a specific crater on the moon. Gotcha.
0: So Luna is dodging all the laser fire and doing a pretty good job, but Shin shows up with the boomerang to destroy the Wyndham shooting her.
1: This is more of what I was talking about when I said it The agencies hers, because Shin has to show up to rescue her.
0: Yes and no, because it's not portraying it as like Luna's about to die here and then Shin comes to the rescue. She was dodging all that laser fire. She wasn't getting a word in edgewise, so to speak, but it's not like she got hit when was tumbling and it's not like a full save. It's not like what happened to Kigali, even, when she fought (laughs) Shin, for example. But I do kind of agree with you. And Shin's like, okay, I'll cover you. I won't let anyone get you. You just focus on destroying the thing you need to destroy.
1: So this is also why I was just like, so why didn't the three of you just go in at the same time? The Minerva gets off a successful Taunhauser blast, and Rey destroys the last destroy. And And Gladys makes the worst mistake anybody can make and says, we're on the verge of winning this. It's like, good job for uh, jinxing us. Shin manages to get his bonus clear complete by destroying a Zamzaza with the sword. I I thought it was a destroyer, but no, he gets a Zamzaza.
0: And Shin sees his girlfriend go down into the Death Star
1: Trench and is like, yeah, I made out with her once. (laughs) And Ray is like, dude, pay attention. That's not even actually your girlfriend's ass. That's her mobile suit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But Jabril begins opening the Requiem to shoot their shot. We get some nice techno babble about it. There's a Terra Capacitor. And Shin and Ray both notice, and they're like, damn it. And Shin starts flying into the base. Jabril is getting on the Girty Lao. Remember that? So that's what that one is? Yeah. It's the one that uh, Neuroanote captained.
1: I thought it looked familiar, but honestly, I was sitting there like, is that... A... I know I've seen that ship, but is that a Dominion class?
0: Well, it's Archangel class. The, the Dominion Ger- is an Archangel class ship.
1: Right. Yeah. Is, is the Girty Lao actually an Archangel class, or is it, it something is, else? No,
0: it's a... It technically doesn't exist, because it has Mirage Colloid, which is illegal. Okay. But it is based on the Archangel. So Luna blasts her way in to the main power station. It's like, hey, this much be it. They are at T-35 to firing. And General Guy is like, okay, transfer the trigger to here
1: so we can shoot from the ship. Wherever here is, I don't think he's on the same ship as Jabril He was in
2: the same room with him in the earlier shot. I don't think he's on the same ship because he blows up before Jabril does. Does he? Okay.
0: Ray looks at the charging up cannon very sternly, but takes no action. As Luna flies in front of the control room, they have a nice window into their giant cannon so they can see the genocides they do. And she blasts it to hell.
2: Better than the Death Star's no (laughs) railing. True. Next to the laser blast. I will also point out that the music playing during this scene is rad, even if it's a little too grandiose for what's actually happening.
0: I was going to save this for final thoughts, but this is kind of a second take on let's sell the legend and the destiny, right? So we've got to make them look as cool as possible. Shin begins destroying all the ships that are still docked. And yeah, I guess you're right. General guy's on one of them. But the Gertie Lau is escaping as Jabril looks like he needs to pee.
1: (laughs) And Rey is like, hey, look, that's a ship. Apparently they couldn't use the Mirage Colloid when they started launching. I mean, I can believe that. They just don't establish anything about how exactly it works. I do love the expression Jabril has when he sees Rey turn around.
0: And he has a full Dragon Ball Z destroyed by Beam's death, where he is ripped to little shreds in pink light. And somewhere in the forest, derundel smiles.
1: <laughs> Apparently, Derundel and Jabril were psychically linked, which is why we kept referring to one as the other the
2: entire time. So he just senses Jabril's death. They're both douche types. They're psychically linked to each other.
0: So Ray uses his beam saber funnels to destroy the Girtilau's bridge and Jin just blasts it apart with his regular funnels. It crashes into the moon and then it explodes.
2: I was like, oh no, Jabril is definitely going to survive this. And then it explodes.
1: It must have been nuclear powered or something, given how fast and devastatingly that thing went up.
0: No, Jabril's going to come back just with cyborg parts. And Uh, then Shin's son from the future will have to kill him. (laughs) So So cut to the Death Star throne room, where Durandal is at complete peace and is like, Thank you, Jabril. And goodbye. And in the dub he adds, Good riddance, on top of that.
1: No, that's actually great. But it does reinforce the fact what I said way back when about how he was just using Jabril as a manner to get everybody under his banner.
0: Yeah, to some degree though you would think he would want to keep him
1: alive cuz he's more useful that way, right?
0: No, he needs to at the very least get another guy for that.
1: Kind of because now you can say look, I protected the world by getting rid of this dude especially cuz after he fired his super weapon True. It's like, look, he could have fired this at the earth. He could have done whatever he wanted. Like, the
2: problem is because he didn't actually capture Jabril, he can't put him on trial for the publicity that would give him. It really depends on what the next phase of his plan is, and I don't think we ever get to know that. We kind of do. We kind of do. Okay, I was going to say, I assume he's too busy fighting people, but...
0: So cut to the Archangel, where Atherin is on the moping deck.
1: (laughs) I was going to call it the brooding deck, but...
0: No, no, The Minerva had a brooding deck. The Archangel has a moping deck. This is where Kira went when he didn't want to see how sexy Flay was, and Kigali had to cheer him
1: up. I do love how Kira goes out to talk to Athrun, and, and Lacus is, is just in the back making sure the kids are going to be okay. Well, I feel like Lacus is like, I got him out of the last one. I don't think I need to be involved in this one. I'll see if Kira can manage it before I have to step in. So Kira's like, hey, you should get some sleep, Athrun. We're taking off in the morning. And he's
0: like, yeah, I know. And they start talking about, man, can't we live in a peaceful world like this all the time? And Lack is like, this is fine. I'm going to go watch my show.
1: <laughs> well, it's like, I can trust Kira to actually get Atherin's head back on straight. And this is a much better conversation than
0: the one at the end of the last episode, I think, where Kira is sort of speculating. He's like, yeah, I think we can't be happy because we have ambitions, basically. And he's like, we have a dream, though a less appealing way to say it would be we're greedy. Like, we want the world to be a certain way.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the problems, and we went over it ad nauseum in the last episode, was the fact that uh, when they were talking about Durandal's plan, they all sounded, when they were talking about it, like they were on board with the idea. But here, they're going into, like, why this is a bad idea. And this is, I think, something that we should have gotten out of the last episode when they were discussing it.
0: I don't even think we need it in the last episode. I just think they need to not come to to a conclusion in the last episode. They need to let it simmer, and this can be part of it simmering, and this can be Atherin and Kira coming to this conclusion, and then presenting it
1: later. They do feel if you do that, you kind of do need Lacus involved. Yeah, but you can have a scene with her too. True.
0: I do really love as they're talking, we get this scene of Shin and Luna back at base, and they hug each other in the <laughs> uh, uh, room, and Tomato Hair's like, what? They're together?
1: And Shin is so happy. Uh, well, it, it also makes it kind of look with with Tomato Hair like, oh, I don't have a chance anymore. First it was Athren she was pining after, and now it's Shin. And her sister's dead, so I can't even get with her. And Gladys just looks like, she looks exhausted, but also like happy at a job well, or not happy, but satisfied with a job well done in one shot. And then right after that, we have Arthur looking down at her and she just looks depressed.
0: Arthur even kind of looks like he's picking up, like Arthur looks like he's not about to say something stupid for once in his life. Maybe because he's
2: not going to say anything. I was going to say, he's considering just, like, getting her a coffee.
0: So Kira's like, yeah, it's the way you and I are. I think Kalgali and Laka's are this way, too, where we just can't let the world destroy itself. And Ethren's like, yeah, I can't envision existing in the world the chairman is envisioning.
1: Well, because he brings up the fact that they wouldn't have met in in the chairman's, like, all of their friends wouldn't have met in the chairman's idea.
0: Yeah. And then we get some interesting shots of the neo-druggies. And again, I think there's a real interesting thematic tie between Durandal's plan and them. But I don't think the show ever manages to tie that knot. <laughs> and Kira talks about how on the one hand, they could stay here where it's peaceful forever. But on the other hand, they would have to stay here where it's peaceful forever.
1: And he asks, are we being selfish by wanting to stop Gibral or Durandal's
0: plan? Which again, I wish was interrogated a little bit more. But I understand why it's not.
1: They at least acknowledge that this is a
0: complex problem.
2: But Athra makes a decision.
1: He points out that under his plan, it would be you either have no choice but to fight or you wouldn't be allowed to. Which has basically been his entire problem this entire series. And Kira's like, if only we all wanted the same thing. And Athra's like, I think actually we do. We just don't all realize that we have the same dream.
2: And now suddenly it's Evangelion.
0: Especially, in particularly he's thinking of Shin when he says that. So cut to the next day, I see the three mobile suits and the Archangel. Again, the Akatsuki just
1: looks like it needs to be with some astrays or something.
2: I was going to say, I think you mean the two mobile suits and the one trophy.
1: (laughs) It looks so out of place is the problem, and it makes me laugh every single time. like if it was next to a Zeta Gundam, that would be fine. If it was next
0: to the Strike Freedom while it was on, they would look like a pair. So anyway, someone's like, we don't have enough deets on the moon, so we have to go there to investigate.
1: This is like a weird arrangement to me because you have like the crew of the Archangel, presumably. But standing in front of them is Kigali. Like, that makes sense. Kira and Lacus, Okay, again, that makes sense. Maru, she's the captain. Duh. Why is Neo Roanoke on this side? She's because Maru's
2: plus one. <laughs> also, he's Captain Neo Roanoke. Thank you.
1: Uh, I don't think he's a captain anymore. He's oh. Deserter Neo Roanoke. Although Kigali will address him as captain yep. in a minute. Also, but I love how you can see off to the side, you can see Mehran. Yeah. She's and the only one not in a uniform. She's just in her jacket. You think they could have got her one. They got Atherin one. I think Atherin already had one. Maybe. Who are the suits? The suits are just like Kigali's aides. But the Archangel is now officially part of the Orb Force's second space fleet. One thing that I, I like the attention to detail on this is everybody else is at like parade rest and Lacus is just kind of like hanging out. Just like, man, if only I could get Kira to cuddle me while we were doing this. That would be perfect. See, the thing that I have a question on is Kira has never really been through military anything. Why is he standing at parade rest?
2: He just does what Atherin does.
1: Or uh, no, it was, it, it's uh, Neo. It's totally because uh, Moo and Maru are doing it. Ah, that's m- right. Mom and dad are doing it, so he's copying them.
0: Speaking of Atherin, he's in the pleb line. And he notices that Kigali is not wearing that ring he gave him. And then we get a flashback to Kigali putting it away because we can't have this be Kigali's own scene because the writer is mad at her voice actress. She doesn't get to have scenes. I do think this is an interesting implication of Kigali choosing to take her responsibilities above her personal ideals, something she's never done before. But I am giving the show so much rope when I say that. (laughs)
1: I think that's supposed to be the idea here. Of course, I'm on the side that says, why not both? I don't see what the problem is. Works for Kira (laughs) and Lachis. Well, I mean, to be fair, they aren't responsible for a country right now. So, also, Lachis is considerably more mature than Kigali is. I love Kigali, but Lachis is a little bit more together.
0: If this is the end of Kigali's arc, I like it. But man, does this show mess up the arc.
1: It fumbles it pretty badly, especially early on in this series. Because we don't really see her... Getting to that point through acknowledgement, really.
2: It's less of an arc and more of a sine wave.
1: You know, I, it did make me wonder, what rank do you think Kira is? Because I'd probably just be like, all right, we're going to bring Kira in as a captain because... Five-star duh. general? Well, it's like, you wouldn't have him as an ensign or a or, no. you know a junior lieutenant or anything like that. I mean, he basically single-handedly won the last war. I assume orb
0: ranks work like Japanese Defense Force ranks, which I don't know very well, honestly. I feel like Colonel Kira, right? That's the highest rank you can be and still be deployed.
1: <laughs> no, see, I was thinking he would probably end up being Captain Kira, but because you can only have one
2: captain on a ship, he would be bumped up to Major Kira. Really, it's uh, what rank is Lacus? Because she has the power to bestow special ranks. Lacus is whatever the fuck rank I want to be.
1: Exactly, and her, her therefore her rank is pop star.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and Kira is whatever her pet name for no. Kira is. Jeremy, Jeremy. <laughs> Lacus's rank is not
1: pop star. She's cross-classed at this point. So it's Mafia Don slash Idol. <laughs> so she is an Idol Don. idol,
0: if you will. But spelled M-A-I-D-O-L. Yes. Anyway, or once more than anything is peace, but that can only be achieved through freedom and independence. So they can't capitulate to Durundal. Let he who wants peace prepare for war. Which is what Durundal told her at the start. And she's like, please help us realize these beliefs, Archangel. And Maru's like, hey, we're going to Copernicus now. Someone else might be there. We to don't get know.
1: information about the current situation.
0: We're leaving in thirty minutes, so get to where you need to be.
2: I definitely read that as 30 seconds when I was watching this. I'm like, geez, Maru.
0: So Kigali's like, Captain Roanoke, the writer doesn't like me anymore, so please take care of the Akatsuki.
1: I mean, on the one hand, if it's supposed to be the idea for Kigali's arc is that she'll put her aside her personal like feelings for the good of the nation or her responsibilities, then it makes sense that she would stay in orb but like you said that's giving the series an awful lot of credit that I'm not sure it deserves.
0: And the real problem with that is narratively speaking, there's nothing for Katali to do in Orb. Yes. Literally speaking, there's probably a ton of government stuff that needs to go on. But narratively speaking, she can accomplish nothing there. She's being put on a bus, but it's actually everyone else is on a bus to the plot and they left Katali here <laughs> at the station.
1: Yeah, cuz even then it doesn't make a lot of sense to trust Neo Roanoke or yeah, Captain Roanoke cuz yeah, they're telling her yeah, it's it's move, He's totally trustworthy. You don't just give a dude like that your most advanced piece of hardware. An astray, it would make sense. But part of me
0: really wonders if, an, at some point in the original plan, the reason Walfelt had that Gaia Gundam was so that Neo Roanoke could get it, and then he could think about Stella, the girl he was so bad to every time he had to pilot it.
1: That would have been that would make way that better. Been way better.
0: Because Walfelt is busy on the uh, bridge of the Eternal, but he's got that Gaia Gundam. Yeah. Which we never see again, do we? I don't believe so. So suit guy is like Kigali. We have to get off the ship before it
1: takes off. Kira and Lacus both run over to Atherin like, Dude, are you okay?
0: He's <laughs> like, it's all right. She tried to give me the ring back the last time she broke up with me, so this feels a lot better.
1: It's fine. Her her voice actress is just involved in a very public spat with the writer. We all share the same dream, though. I love how Mayrin, like must have sprinted out of the hangar to grab this folder and be walking down the... Uh companion way here at the same time that kigali is so this scene to me just throws so
0: much of a wrench into what we just talked about
1: Uh, i don't necessarily think that it throws that much of a wrench into it because she's she still cares about athrin like if we're operating under that assumption she still cares about him a great deal
0: let's go through the scene below by below and then we can talk about our conclusions from it so kigali goes up to mayren is like hey i hear you're going too and she's like yes i want to be a main character and she's like hey Look after him for me. I can't go with you guys. The script says so. And also maybe my character arc. So you take care of him, 15-year-old girl. (laughs) Interpret that how you will, 15-year-old girl with a crush on my fiance.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the only thing I can think of here is this is somebody that Kigali knows, cares about Atherin. If only Lacus and Kira were also on the ship for her to tell this to
2: what this is doing i don't i
1: i don't know like i'm I'm saying it makes sense for her to ask her because she's there but at the same time it's mostly a problem of i don't really understand what kigali's arc is supposed to be
2: this is kigali's blessing of the royal consort
1: (laughs) (laughs) i can read it that way certainly is this just kigali inviting maren in to be like a a three-way relationship
2: with Athrin? Yeah, essentially. Um, All right.
0: She's like, hey, it works for Kira and Lachis and whatever they're doing, so I want to try it. My character art is complete. I'm no longer so attached to him. I can let go. I can let him do his own thing. And, you know, he keeps calling you his own thing. So...
1: <laughs> well, I mean, Lachis and Kira are pretty well attached as a couple. I don't I don't see either one of those branching out to other people besides... Well, I guess besides Atherin.
2: <laughs> yes, I, Lachis would. Kira wouldn't.
1: I don't even think so. I think, like, they are definitely friends with, still friends with Athrin and Kira, or a- Athrun and Kigali. It's just, like, I don't see either one of those having any romantic feelings for anybody else. I know we made a lot of the jokes of Athrin and Kira in the first season, but in this series, it definitely strikes me more as a, not even quite a bromance. They're just really good friends because they've known each other for so goddamn long.
0: Back to Tyler's point, though, Kira Yamato definitely seems like a one-woman sort of guy to me, as someone who empathizes too much with Kira Yamato, whereas I can see Lackus keeping her options open. Yep. <laughs> I mean, she'll also. I can also see Lacus respecting Kira's wish for a monogamous relationship, and they seem very, at least emotionally, pretty satisfied with each other. She just
2: wishes that he would be a little bit more aggressive. He's got all those belts, why doesn't he use them for something? Except he doesn't have any of them anymore. Oh no, Kira's been downgraded, he lost his belts.
0: So we cut to them about to leave. Kigali gives Kira a nice hug. And then there's a real nice hug actually between her and Lacus. I don't know why I like this one so much. Maybe because it's like Lacus being like, okay, you're grown up enough. You can do this without me. I know it. I I believe in you.
1: I think that actually is kind of supposed to be that nod. I do love you have mom Maru and dad Neo Roanoke standing watching this whole thing. And it's hug for the brother, hug for the sister-in-law. And then it's like really awkward with Athrin.
0: Yeah, they're like just looking at each other, which they seem content for. But Athens like, I know you're terrible at hugging people, so I'm going to do it. Remember when I did it last time? He's actually afraid of being punched is what (laughs) happened there. She does seem to take it pretty well. They have a very long, if slightly awkward hug.
1: And everyone else is so proud. I don't think that's what you're supposed to take away from that scene, but
2: it really looked that way.
0: I want to know what the relationship officially between Lacus and Maru is here, because Maru is like, let's take off. And Lacus is like, yes, let's take off. And that is when Maru is gives the order to actually take
2: off. Lacus is space president now.
0: So we see Kigali and Kisaka saluting the Archangel as it begins to take off. Presumably, it's going to the roller coaster.
1: I feel like Maru is treating Lacus basically as a head of state here, or just acknowledging basically how they won the last war with Lacus in charge of the three ships alliance. True. By and large.
2: Yeah, Lack is a space president. Maru is her commanding officer.
1: (laughs) I do love how Kira is apparently on the bridge from the background that he is. And Athen is like hanging out in the lounge. He needs his rest. That's also where Lackus is. So that's (laughs) where Kira's going to
0: be. And the episode ends on a shot of Lackus. So I guess it's not that bad. So I guess it's not that bad an episode.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It does feel like this was a janitorial episode. They were cleaning up Jabril because the main characters have decided that Durundal is the big problem.
0: Doesn't so much feel that way to me as it feels like we really got to sell the Destiny and the Legend. It didn't work at Heaven's Base. And if you take the Heaven's Base episode out, I think this plays a lot better. Although you kind of need the Heaven's Base episode to happen before Shin gets his ass kicked. This almost in some ways feels like Shin getting his win back and his confidence back after Kira schooled him so badly. And them saying, no, Shin is still really good. Remember that. It just suffers from a lot of the things that Destiny has always suffered from. Like the fact that there are so many units they destroy here. And there actually aren't that many for a Destiny episode. But it's three destroy Gundams and all these Zomzazahs. And again, compared to Seed where it was... At this point in the series, it was usually big armies because they had expanded as well. But for all the early bit, it was Monster of the Week type stuff for back of a better... Comparison maybe. So... It felt like an escalation where this in some ways feels like a downgrade almost from what they've fought before. And there's not anything super interesting to the fight other than the legend getting to use all its gimmicks because it's in space now.
2: It feels effortless to the like Ray basically just mobs up. He's like, "Okay, Shin, you go do your own thing. I'll take care of these three destroys.
0: And maybe that's what it's supposed to be is to sell the legend episode. Then the destiny just happens to get a lot of action shots, too, because it's still here and it doesn't
1: want to just be in the background. I mean, that would actually make a little bit of sense, because if I remember at Heaven's Base, the legend kind of fell into the background against the Destiny showcase.
0: And it can't use its funnels in in Earth's gravity for story reasons they decided on. I don't know why you can't just say, yes, it can. But they decided (laughs) that it can't, so it couldn't really show off there. It's weird because a ton happens, right? But it feels like nothing happens at the end of the episode. And we're so close to the end, and we so desperately need movement.
1: That's why I was saying that it feels kind of like a janitorial episode because it's just cleaning Jabril off the table to realign things with the main character what the main characters have decided because like I said it feels like nothing happens in this episode and but at the same time it's here.
2: I think the reason it feels like nothing happens is that so much of the episode is devoted to finally wiping out Jabril and it's like one kind of anticlimactic and two, We have, like, a ton of stuff that happens afterwards. It's like, okay, now to fight the real final boss. So it kind of diminishes any impact that the earlier part of the episode could have had. Do you think it would have made a little bit more, or flowed a little bit better in that case if they'd split
1: the two sides? So, like, if the conversation that Atherin and Kira were having happened in between while the battle was going on?
2: I mean, obviously, they're running out of time, so I'm not sure I could advocate this. I actually almost would have argued for almost ending the episode on Jabril's death, and then just transitioning to Durandal being like, all right, now it's my turn, and that's the end of the episode, I think would have flowed a bit better.
0: And you have the Archangel stuff at the beginning of the episode? Yeah. Because I think for time, you can actually just rearrange the episode and get what you want.
1: Well, that's what I was saying, more or less. Um, Not to the degree that you guys are talking about. I was saying basically mixing them up. I don't, honestly, I don't think that would have been a good idea because I think it screws the flow up colossally if you were to basically cut and chop this up here.
0: I think the reason they have to end on the Archangel, though, is they're the good guys now, right? Which is too bad, but that's one of the reasons I feel that so strongly, I think, is the Archangel gets this gl- beautiful music, like well, it gets this glory takeoff after this long speech from Kigali, whereas the Minerva is exhausted and just going from place to place. Just for contrast, I wanted to bring up episode 44 of Seed is the one right before the- Rao explains everything, where they're having the battle outside the colony with the three-way between the Dominion, Rao, and... The three ships
2: alliance, which is super tense, and there's a lot of interesting tactics being deployed.
0: Yeah, and so that doesn't feel like the end of seed to me. So I guess like we still have time to set up the end of destiny, but it feels way more tense. There's definitely a rising action there
1: because it also ends on a particularly tense moment. Because isn't if I remember right, doesn't that one end with Mu landing on the or Mu going down and having to chase Rao into the into the area? I think so, but I don't remember
0: exactly where it ends on. Tyler, do you have a high point?
2: There are a lot of good action shots throughout this, and I'm actually going to say my specific high point is the shot of Izak and Diarka taking out the all together. It's pretty good. I like their teamwork. Man, I wish there were still characters in this show. I do have actually a, a much more interesting high point, but I will see what you guys take.
1: Zach, I think I might have to go with Shin and Luna's space hug. It's good. Because it's the cute. space hug is pretty great.
0: Yeah, it's one of the few times I like them in a relationship. And... The problem with Shin and Luda's relationship is that it's just a bad Gundam relationship where they are two people of the opposite sex that are next to each other, so they end up together. It's not terrible. It's fine. It's just Kira and Lacus have an incredible relationship. Atherin and Kigali in Seed have a very good relationship. Uh, Even Kira and Flay have a very interesting sexual relationship. So them just being like, and now we're together is a lot weaker and you can do some interesting stuff with that because they're kind of thrust together by the tragedy of their situation. So them having a less stable relationship makes sense, but they don't really go with that. It just feels like they're together cuz they are the two people of opposite gender near each other.
1: But so. yeah, that, that is a very weird like start to a relationship. Hey, I killed your sister, let's get together. And it works I think in here. Although I do feel like it would have mostly been
2: mutual grief because yeah. Mayron was Shin's friend too. And just, Atherin was Shin's friend, and kind of also Luna's friend-slash-crush.
1: Yeah, I just think unpacking that would be really interesting, yeah. and they don't. Especially after the last episode where they announced that or Ray mentions that Mayrin is probably still alive on board the Archangel in Luna's face, but they never really addressed that. So I have to come up with a high point for this episode. I do have that backup if you want it.
0: No, I've got one. I actually do really like the shot of Shin using his shining finger on the Destroy Gundam. Like, I actually really like that specific shot, the way the cockpit of the destroyer is, like, blown in. I hate the fact that the Destiny has that, so... (laughs) I'm I'm fine with it, mostly. Uh, What's your backup high point, Tyler?
2: I actually really like Jabril's final piece of characterization, where he's, like, trying to weasel with the general to escape at the same time, and, like, just that whole thing I think is just so true to character, and the fact that he is so clearly anxious about it... Is really nice. How's that phrase go?
1: People show you who they really are when they're when they're about to die? I have, I
0: guess, more complex thoughts on that. That's definitely the character Jabril has shown, right? He told the uh, Saren's, hey, as long as I'm alive, we're fine. Then when they didn't show up, he was like, I'm the only one that matters. So it all tracks. I Narcissistic guess- coward yeah i guess i just want motivation for jabril like why does he hate coordinators so much why is he such an egotist
2: oh no i'm not saying he's a great character i know but this is very true to character and like the fact that he's been getting increasingly more panicked as all of his backup plans keep failing
1: the main problem with him as a character is what jeremy just said we don't know any of his motivations or anything like that to make him an interesting character he's just the big bad evil guy do you have a low point tyler
2: I was trying to think of one, and I guess the editing of the episode, because we, three random lay people came up with a way that this could have been edited better such that the like the tension is more consistent and more useful for the end of the show.
1: Zach. Mir. <laughs> Mir being in this episode, because she Certain doesn't- Mir presence, if you will. <laughs> the
0: only thing it does is provide dramatic irony that the archangel is about to go where she is,
1: but you have to- be a real on the ball to even notice that, because I didn't notice that as we established at the beginning. I'd missed that. Um, she just she doesn't add anything to this episode. She's on screen in two scenes for all of like two minutes total. One is literally just a cheesecake shot, and that's all it's there for. More or less, it's like, oh look, it's mirror. It's like, all right, is she gonna add to the episode? I guess not. What's your low point, Jeremy? Maybe I'm
0: just picking on this, but it is that scene between Mayron and Kigali because I just don't know how to read it. <laughs> no, I'm going to revise. It's going to be broader. It's the way Kigali is phased out of the show here. Here, Neo Roanoke, have my cool Gundam my dad made just for me. Here, Mayron Hack, have my cool boyfriend I got just for me. <laughs> here, a Ring from Atherin, you go in the chest now.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's not, that's, that's really bad. Because it, it's not even, it's not even like well done done in order to remove a character because the character feels natural to be leaving the series or like the actor or something is sick or
2: whatever because i mean that that can happen but it just really feels like we're removing you because reasons it's such a shame because i feel like kigali has so much personality and she just doesn't get to do anything throughout two shows she does get to do some stuff right when she gets the Akatsuki. That is true. She does get to do some cool Akatsuki commi- leading for the front stuff.
1: But that is two episodes, more or less, in two fifty 50 50-episode series. So she gets to do something for 125th of a series. Yep. And
0: it's a little more complex than that because her arc is supposed to she be she's a violent action girl who needs to learn that that's like just punching things isn't what you need to do. But it ends up just feeling depowering
2: for her. Because it's not framed as, like, that this is the better path for me. I mean, oh, you no. could
1: definitely have a character learn that, you know, you can have the violent action, but it has to be the last option.
2: You, you've read Rhythm of War, right? I'm just thinking of Dalinar's whole arc, basically.
1: Oh, uh, His whole arc is basically Kigali's arc done right.
2: Yeah. Although he's not an action girl. but No, he's <laughs> an action lad. <laughs> Very different.
0: All right, before we go, I think we need to put the Usulid on our mobile suit list, because this is its last appearance, and most of its appearance in the HD version are edited out to be the Zomzaza. The and
1: hell is the Usulid?
0: I will show you a picture of it. It is a mobile armor. We saw it a lot at Heaven's Base, and I was like, I'm pretty sure we see more of this later on in the series, and most of it was edited out. It is a successor to the Zomzaza. It's basically the mass-produced version, so it doesn't have the crab claws. It's sort of a replacement Mobius.
1: I don't even remember seeing that thing.
0: You guys both commented on it being cool at Heaven Space, but that was a million years ago when we recorded Was that it episode. was it
1: even in this episode? Cuz I it don't remember seeing it. It does show up
0: twice, it. but it's both in background shots.
2: Okay. Euclid. Euclid, I believe is the word you're going for. Okay. Euclid. The, yeah, well, there's only one eye. I suppose so. you're right. Okay, this thing. It looks like it has Pikachu ears. Gotcha.
0: I think it goes in the giant gap between the Gelsgi and the Zomzaza. Personally, I think it's better than the Gelsgi. I don't think it's nearly as good as the Zomzaza.
1: I mean, the Zomza is far more memorable because even before rewatching this episode, if you'd mentioned Zamza's Automy, I could have told you exactly what it was. When you said Euclid, I couldn't even tell you what the thing that, what it was.
0: So I'm going to look for mobile armors in there and non-mobile suits to start us off. I don't uh, think there are very many. I don't think it's as cool as the Exus, which is Captain Neo Roanoke's mobile armor he had for five minutes at the start of this series. I don't think so either.
2: Yeah, I liked that thing pretty well, especially the color scheme it had. Because it's the Roanoke color scheme.
0: I think it's probably cooler than the Core Splender.
2: Yeah. It's close, but yeah, I think so. Also it's got like Well the Core Splender looks like crap, so No, I don't think the Core Splender looks like crap. It's not like super inspired or anything. It's but... no skygrasper. It's no skygrasper.
0: Uh the Baku is mobile armor esque. I
1: think the Baku is probably cooler than this. I also like the Baku a lot more.
2: It is a giant laser puppy, so I agree.
1: Or it's a giant missile puppy. Or a giant (laughs) railgun puppy.
0: (laughs) Okay, I think it's probably not as cool as the Forbidden Vortex, which has like a mobile armor-ish
2: mode. That's the, or like its mobile armor mode is like when it goes deep sea diving, right? Yeah. And uses the scythe as like a rudder. I think I prefer the
0: Forbidden in that case. Zach is nodding, so I think that's unanimous. So the Euclid will go at number... 76, above the Core Splendor and below the Forbidden Vortex.
1: How many things are on our list anyway? 88. 88
0: mobile. I periodically want to
1: check in because I don't really look at it. 88 mobile suits. That's a lot. Some of them are are jets. 88 (laughs) 88 things on that list is still kind of a lot.
0: All right. Any more final thoughts? Again, I think we unpacked this episode pretty well. It's got a lot of action, but it ends up feeling kind of empty. It's very potato chips
1: yeah i mean you need to pay attention to what your action means because otherwise like if action is meaningless i don't really care about it
2: i'm thinking that we really just needed a dramatic fanfare over to rundle saying goodbye to jabril just like some sort of evil music would have helped a fun
0: so join us next week when we will be watching phase 46 the song of truth until then we have to keep watching it is our destiny